0: Say a few words about that, about what is the mind. So we may wonder and look everywhere to be sure that we don't forget to look at any place. So can we say that the mind is a sound or the mind a shape or a color? Or would the mind be something that can be tasted, or touched, or think about? Does the mind, is a concept, an image? If the mind were any of those phenomena, then we could know it by the way that you... We usually know phenomena by seeing, hearing or thinking it were any of those phenomena. But it doesn't make sense to pretend that the mind will be a shape, a color, or a sound. So what is it then that we call mind? Where do we experience it or how do we experience it? We experience the mind when seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, thinking. So the mind can think, see, hear and experience sadness, experience happiness, anger, patience, the mind is experiencing on that. The mind is the knower of all those. For so the mind is not that which is known by sight, hearing and so on. But it is what can hear, what can perceive, that which can think. So when we try to meditate on the nature of the mind if we place the mind as an objective of our practice that we may try to discover what is the mind so we will be looking for it trying to know it very precisely so if we are starting our meditation looking for the mind as we only have one mind, it's meditator, so we may wonder if we are really seeking to discover the mind so does it means that it is a no mind who is trying to figure out or to discover the mind. Since there is only one mind so is a searcher no mind looking for the mind. Or is it the searcher, the mind, will be looking for no mind. So that's not possible, there will be two minds. So if we may imagine that, maybe we will be looking at past experience, just what is just a reason, a past thought. That we may just discover the nature of the mind, in just the thought just gone. So that may be the present mind trying to discover the nature of the past thought, but of course the past thought has gone, so it's no more, it's a no mind, therefore our present mind, the meditator, will be trying to look at something which is not the mind, and in this sense there will be no way that the meditator could discover the nature of the mind. Or is it the past thought, the meditator will be in the past looking at the present thought. And again then, if the meditator will be the past thought, how could he know anything? So we see that if the meditation on the nature of the mind is organized as we place as an objective, as an aim, the mind that we try to discover then we are placing ourselves into a um, position which makes it impossible. Either we discover a no mind, or it will be a no mind discovering the mind, but the no mind doesn't know anything. So we see that from our tendency to try to discover the world by the senses and by concept, by thinking, we may have the tendency to try to discover the mind in the same way, by an orientation of our way of knowing, seeing, hearing, thinking. But by this way, what is known is only the content, the object of the mind, but not the mind itself. The mind cannot be placed as an objective, cannot be known as an object of the mind itself. So we may wonder in our meditation where to place our mind and this Greek philosopher said, said that if one were to give him one stable <coughs> earth, then he will be able to lift the earth so in may wonder in our meditations if I could have one place where I could place my mind then I could really meditate on the nature of the mind so where will be <coughs> this place that I can my mindfulness or my mind and then from this place I could really practice the meditation on the nature of the mind. So I'm looking for one place. But we are again in the same situation. If we try to bring our mindfulness, our awareness somewhere to place it that we could then meditate on the nature of the mind. So this awareness or mindfulness which is the mind Are we going to place it in something which is not the mind, hoping that it will help? Of course that doesn't make sense. So when we try to place our mindfulness, our mind, somewhere, that it will be helpful for our meditation, then in that we are just building more confusion, believing that we could bring the mind somewhere where it will discover the mind in this movement of trying to move the mind somewhere to place it somewhere so where is the mind? the mind of course is what we are trying to move to place somewhere so in this movement there is no need to place the mind anywhere it's already there we can't place it at any specific spot therefore in our meditation on the nature of the mind they cannot be any place, any spot or reference point where we could just settle there and believe that I can lead my meditation from there. No nothing that we can bring back at any place. When we believe that we could bring mindfulness into a knee, for example, to experience bodily sensation. So that may we may believe that we could bring something there in the knee and then experience the bodily sensation, having the sense of something moving there. But that is from the point of view of an observer, that from the point of view of the meditator separated from the experience itself. And from this point of view one may believe that something may be moving if we believe that the mind could be located somewhere that we could rest there and then know it where would it be in the head or heart or wherever where would it be in one text by Martha Eckhart he said something interesting quoting a greek philosopher who said that the mind is not in the body but the body is in the mind. So we experience and we know our body from the mind and it makes more sense than to believe that the mind is somewhere located within our own body. If we be more precise about the experience of knowing, which is the quality of mind, when the mind may experience bodily sensation, then we may believe that at this time the mind is located into the body. Seems to make sense. Yet that again, it is constriction that we may make around our experience than believing that the mind is located in the body it is from the same point from the standpoint of an observer outside of the experience who then may say well the mind or my mindfulness is placed in the knee." but from the point of view of the experience itself from the point of view of the mind The mind is never located anywhere. Location would be just a concept, an image arising in the mind. But the mind itself is not located at any place. So that may seem quite strange. But in a sense, it's like all our experiences happen exactly at the same place let's imagine that we have different body sensations from the experience from the mind point of view it exactly appear at the same place which is nowhere all our experience our mind is not happening anywhere only the where will be a notion arising in the mind and if we were to believe it's placed here or there it will be placed here or there with respect to work so all the experience with the mind is not happening anywhere because it is not something that has other characteristics something which can be located I may try to bring an example Let's take bodily sensation for example. If I am walking in the hall, just experiencing the bodily sensation. So, what are the characteristics of bodily sensation? Maybe heaviness, lightness, temperature, some type of vibration. So, in those characteristics, do you see anything which is, in a sense, a location? So I may be experiencing walking in the hall, if I am just experiencing the bodily sensation, there will be no perception of movement. The movement will only be perceived from my eyesight, because I see the wall and I see this one, and maybe I see that it becoming bigger. That will give me the sense of movement. But the simple experience of the bodily sensation will not be experienced anywhere, unless I stand outside as an observer then I may start to locate those, but the observer at some distance then I am creating in that movement, I am creating the sense of space and location but from the point of view of the experience itself of the sensation it is not located anywhere so we cannot find the mind here or there the searcher is already the mind, and he cannot find it outside of itself. He cannot go somewhere other than itself to look for itself. There is an account in the Vimalakirti Sutra. Where many monks are requested to go and by the Buddha to go and inquire about Himalayan's health. He is a traitor and pretends to be sick. Therefore, the Buddha is asking all the highest monks to go and inquire about his health. But nobody dares to go because he was so sharp in his wisdom that he has, whenever he has met them, in a situation where they were teaching, he always was sure that they were mistaken. And at this time, the Buddha asked Upali, the monk Upali to go and <coughs> to see him, like Chetina, for his, about his health. And Upali was a monk very well respected for his following the monk's rules. He said that one day he was late to eat his meal at lunch Therefore he stopped the sun with his power so he could finish his meal before uh, letting the sun go again just by the respect of his uh, rules of the monks. Two monks had misbehaved and they were shy so they did not want to go to the Buddha to report that they had broken the rules. So they went to Upali and Upali gave them some explanation about how to respect the rules. And at this time, Himalakshiti like came. And then <coughs> he, had, he, t- he told Lupali, he said, You are just bringing more confusion in the mind of those poor monks. So they misbehaved and now you bring some more confusion. He said that <coughs> the mind cannot, the mind is not within, the mind is not without, neither in between. So it is a The <coughs> sins neither within, without, or in between. So why are you teaching about the mistake or the breach in the rules about those monks? You are bringing more confusion. So the here is giving some indication. The mind is not within, without, or in between. So where is it to be found? The mind is to be found nowhere. Because the mind is the mind, the mind who will build up the notion of place. The mind may build up the notion of time, but the mind itself is not located neither in time nor in space. There is a very well known account that very often is told in the meditation retreat. I will tell it again because it will give some light on the mind and the location of the mind. The story is one Brahmin who was meditating in India and he was very proud in his meditation. He thought that he really understood everything, that he was about to awaken. He was very proud. And there was a Deva celestial being, who was a remote cousin from this Brahmin, who had pity on him and thought, my cousin doesn't understand anything, and he's not on the way to understand anything, so I better go to him and just give him a few advice. So he went to this Brahmin and told him that he was really mistaken, that he did not understand anything, and the path he was following would never lead him to understand more. He said, if you really want to understand something, go to see the Buddha who is living near Bodkaya. Then the Brahmin went there and the Buddha was about to enter a town to beg. So the Brahmin went to him and asked him, please give me the essence of your teaching. And the Buddha was about to go to beg for his food, so he asked the Brahmin to go back to uh, Garden, where he was staying, and said that he would come later and speak with him. But the Brahmin was very insistent. He asked a second time, and he asked a third time. So the Buddha had to answer, and he gave this very short teaching. I said, in seeing, I just seeing; in hearing, just hearing; in tasting, just tasting; sensing, just sensing; and thinking, just thinking. And the Buddha left. And this monk awakened, this Brahmin awakened just from hearing what the Buddha was teaching in a very very concise way, in a very short way. So the way the Buddha played his teaching is very interesting in seeing just seeing, in hearing just hearing, thinking just thinking. So what did he mean by just Here, it gives some indication that in seeing, there is no subject and object. There is not a seer and something which is seen. In hearing, there is not a hearer and something which is heard. There is just the experience of hearing. There is just the experience of seeing. In the same for thinking, there is not a thinker and a thought. It's just the experience of thinking. So in this way, it gives some indication, if you wish, of the location of the mind. Now we may wonder, in this experience of just seeing, just hearing, just thinking, when there would not appear anymore the sense of an object and the sense of a subject will be an experience of non-duality. So what would it mean if one were just experiencing, just seeing, just hearing, just thinking? There is no sense, no separation between object and subject. So what does it mean now? Does it mean that suddenly we would become the trees or the rocks that we are seeing? Or that the trees and rocks would become us? So what does it mean when we say that this separation between object and subject disappears? And there is just hearing and just seeing, and just thinking. So in this experience, in simple experience, it means that there is no object and no subject. Therefore there is no sense of somebody seeing, nothing which is seen, just what is consciousness. And there is nothing else than consciousness. There is just the experience. And this is not happening inside or outside, neither in between. So in this simplicity of the experience, this is not happening anywhere. So it's no way to say that the subject or meditator becomes the tree, or the tree becomes the meditator. That has, of course, no sense. This experience of just seeing, hearing, thinking, and so on, is not happening anywhere. Because the only experience there is the experience of consciousness, and there is nothing which is outside of it. To give an example if this universe that we know were the only one existing so we could not locate it somewhere because there is nothing outside of it. A disciple of Jung Erich Neumann wrote a book about the origin and the history of consciousness and he explained that all the history or mythology explanation about the origin of the universe or the creation of the world every tradition has his own explanation about how the universe started so all those stories however it may start from a vast sea or from just the sky or from space and from an egg or whatever and suddenly slowly this will start to be fragmented and the world would appear he said that actually in those stories what is told is the origin of consciousness not the origin of the world but since for mythological people it is not possible to understand that what they are explaining is the origin of the consciousness then they project that outside and they are telling it as a story of the world all the cosmology so that may be interesting we may see the sense of first differentiation of consciousness in object subject day and night and all the opposition slowly coming up so that then description of the cosmos. Now if we see the actual description, it's very interesting because we see that there is a kind of a vast, also a vast uh, ocean that will be started to be fragmented. And I just read, two weeks ago, the description of the universe and they say now, scientists, that the universe has no center and no limit and is not located anywhere. So they started by describing the origin of consciousness, believing they were telling the history of the world. But now, when they try to describe the end or the, the dimension of the world, we find that they give the same description of, con- of consciousness. They say it has no center, no limit, because there is no boundary, and it is not located anywhere because it cannot be located with respect to anything, and is not existing in time. So strangely enough, we could learn about the nature of consciousness reading the explanation about our universe from the scientists. So when the mind may abide in the simplicity of just hearing, just thinking, Just seeing. The interest for the object of course start to disappear because since there is not anymore this sense of separation between an object and a subject so what is appearing very clearly in the experience of just seeing, just hearing, just thinking is a quality of knowing of the mind. So all those experiences lose their interest, their fascination, what is seen, what is heard lose, they lose their interest and just what remains is the capacity the quality of knowing of the mind therefore the meditator when he gets to this state of simplicity slowly there is no more interest in the experience themselves and the quality of the mind of knowing would appear more and more clearly not appear to the meditator not appear to the mind because it appears to itself in its own quality, its own nature but suddenly so it is free from any concept or from any um, aspect of the experience then the meditator may slowly just experience a vast sense just of being there is no any more object being perceived, neither any thought appearing then the experience will be a vast experience just of being just the quality of knowing of the mind not being located anywhere not having any shape, any form not having any limitation not having any center so the meditator may at this time really believe that finally he has found the mind and he has found his true nature So, this experience uh, may have different aspects. One is a strong sense of happiness, because of course there is a sense of fullness. Nothing is lacking, there is no limit. So, there is no outside of this experience. So, could there be something lacking? Nothing is missing. So, this sense of happiness, there is a sense of clarity, which is the knowing aspect of the mind, and a sense of this extends being devoid of any content, or of any thought, concept, very clear and peaceful. So one may believe that finally one has reached or realized one's true nature, full sense of being. So that is not yet the true nature of the mind, that is just its clarity and its knowing aspect. It is said in the deck that is the ground of bondage. It is because that exists that bondage may appear. If you wish it is like you have been sentenced, but you don't know yet in which jail you will be sent. So you are in bondage, but you don't know yet which which type of rope you will be bound. So it's the pure ground of bondage then later on the bonnet may take different aspects according to the different experiences that may arise. So this experience, but certainly very pleasing and fulfilling is not yet, freedom is not yet our deepest nature. It's just the quality of knowing of the mind. So why that Why is it that in this experience, or in this realization of the nature of the mind, of this quality of knowing of the mind, why is that? Since there is no concept there, no object being perceived, why is that? That it is still the ground of bondage. Why? which characteristic is there that may be said to be the crown of bondage it is because this mind is a sphere of knowing which still is bound by the notion of existence and non-existence in this sphere if we were asked at this time will say, yes, that does exist. Of course it will be a thought. <coughs> Let's imagine that you describe that to your friend and your friend said, well, does it exist? You will say, yes, it is existing. So this fact that in this sphere of experience, this quality of the mind, things will still be perceived as existing or non-existing, which is in the same way to so with just a negation, still in this sphere, existing and non existing, from from this ground all the world of bondage may appear because there is still the potential for those notion of it exists, it does not exist, it is good, it is bad, and that may arrive samsara and nirvana. Just because the sense the potential or the sense of existing is still there, that's why this is the ground of bondage. So how can we go beyond that and how will we know that we are beyond that, this still way of experiencing within the sphere of existence and non-existence. Now we may see that the notion of existence and non-existence is a mind who need to ascertain or to negate. It's a mind who still will grasp in a way the experience. It, it is a mind which has um, working, is working with certainty either in positive way or in negative way. This mind working with certainty the affirmation of negation that is based on grasping this is this is the very movement of grasping which would ascertain or negate and the mind which is still grounded in grasping is bonded not that at this time there is a vast sense of grasping only this very subtle grasping as existing So a mind which will work with affirmation and negation, that is the mind which is grounded in grasping. The mind which is grounded in grasping is bonded. Therefore, one has to go beyond this state of grasping. To know (coughs) if we are in a state beyond grasping, In the Tibetan tradition some techniques are taught that we may just check to experience even if it is for a very short time to experience the state of non-grasping that we may recognize if let's imagine we are staying just abiding in our meditation very peacefully just a sense of presence without any content and by relaxing in this state, by the practice, maybe this grasping could go away. To be sure, if we <coughs> understand, or if we may clearly realize when there is grasping or no grasping, so some practices are taught. One is called jyone drosun, which means the arising, the abiding, and the disappearing of experiences, or of thoughts. So one would analyze the thought arising, abiding and disappearing, by a very precise inquiry into the nature of the thought, then one may cut through the veil of grasping and experience, even for a short time, experience a state devoid of any grasping. So how that is that practice then one may inquire to when the thought is arising one may inquire to know where is the thought coming from where is it staying and where does it go maybe arising and where does it go is not so important but we may inquire into the present thought what is its nature where is it located can we find it now if we Practice that inquiry with a sense of distance between the thinker and the thought, then what we will realize will not really bring much clarity and realization. When there is no distance between the thinker and the thought, when we start to inquire into the nature of the thought, this inquiry will be also into the nature of the thinker. And when we realize that this is not arising anywhere, not abiding anywhere, has no true existence then at this time the thinker will also have no true existence and at this time the meditator will not also have true existence. So that will be a way to get through any grasping and at this time for a short time one may experience what is a state devoid of grasping. By this practice one may then understand or realize the state of non-grasping, that when one will just be resting in the natural state of the mind, one will know if there is still grasping or not. One would have experienced before a state of non-grasping, therefore one would not be mistaken or confused by a vast sense of, of limitless sense of presence. The limitless experience of the knowing aspect of the mind, one will still be able to recognize that there is some element of grasping there. So, those inquiry may be practiced sometimes when the mind is quiet and one may just inquire into the nature of the present thought, just to inquire. Why is this thought, where is it located? Is it any way that one can really perceive it? And by this way of inquiry, again, if there is one, does not hold this distance between the thinker and the thought, by this very precise inquiry, one then will realize that there is no true existence to the thought or to the thinker. Which means, of course, to the meditator and to oneself by this kind of inquiry, sharp inquiry, into the present thought. Then if one would get the conclusion, then there is nothing, there is no mind, because when one is inquiring, very precisely, one does not perceive anything, one does not know anything anymore. So if one then would get to the conclusion, there is nothing, that still would be... Coming back to the sphere of existence or non-existence, then before one was clinging to existence, now one starts to cling to non-existence. But that still belonging to the that still belong to the same sphere, to the same need for affirmation or negation, for certainty. Therefore, when one may inquire into the nature of the present thought and not perceive anything left being left with nothing, yet that doesn't mean that nothing does exist. There is this aspect of knowing of the mind, yet it does not exist truly. So when we express that in words we have to make two statements. There is a cognizant aspect of the mind and it does not exist truly. So when we say that the cognizant aspect of the mind, the danger will be to grasp that as existing. So we have to say does not exist truly, the danger will be that we grasp that as a pure negation. So we have to balance it with language saying, the nature of the mind, the nature of the mind is to be cognizant, yet it does not exist truly. Now in the experience itself, there is just no need to express anything, therefore The mind is not going to be experienced as existing or non-existing. Nobody is asking the mind to speak. So there is no need at this time to make any statement. The nature of the mind is beyond any statement. It's beyond any concept of existing or non-existing. When we speak we need to use concept, therefore we'll say it's cognizant and has no true nature. It has no true nature, yet it's cognizant as a way of speaking in the experience itself is just beyond concept of existing or non-existing so the realization of the nature of the mind as being neither existent nor non-existent that is the realization of our Buddha essence that is our freedom not just the state of the clear mind as existing. So this nature is always present, it's not something that is away from us and that we need to look for to bring it in the meditation hall. So we bring nature of the mind for how many people we are here that everybody could at least have one. So that is our true nature every instant. That's why in our practice we don't need to bring it, we don't need to build it. We just need to rest in the present instant without making anything, without trying to manipulate the experience. Any attempt to do something will be just being concerned with the contents of the mind, not with the mind itself. So we may, con- we may be concerned with something appearing in the mind or some other thing appearing in the mind, and we may play with that, but that's not going to make the nature of the mind a- appear. So it's only when we start to be not interested anymore into all those things appearing and those things appearing all all the manipulation will just bring something which may go away. Yet the nature of the mind is not something which is here and not here it is always here. So we can't make it appear and we cannot make it disappear. It's only by simply resting without any manipulation, without pushing over anything, without coming forth anything, that the nature of the mind will be self-clear and appearing, by itself, not because we make it appear. Again, if we want to make it appear, is it ourselves as not the mind who could make it appear? The nature of the mind is clear by itself. We can't bring clarity to it. And if we just rest, this clear nature will appear by itself, to itself, not to any meditator. So again there is nothing to do, not much to do, so this aspect may make the meditation on the nature of the mind seem easy nothing one doesn't know to do because there is nothing to do, nothing one could learn to do. Yet our strong tendency to do something to be helpful especially for ourselves may make it slightly more difficult because we may try to do something to be helpful or the strong tendency to look for something may still be there even when we decide not to look for anything anymore. It's like a observer would stay observing even having decided not to observe anything and there will still be a sense of an observer or a meditator so nothing need to be done yet if one is bothered by the sense of an observer or a meditator then at this time one may just rest in the meditator and the observer or in the searcher because the searcher the observer is the mind itself, it's not outside of the mind. Therefore, just being mindful of the observer, mindful of the meditator, one will just be experiencing the mind. But Rinpoche, <coughs> a lama, I think from the 18th century, said don't look for the mind outside, don't look for the mind inside. But rest in the looker, rest in the searcher, mind itself. So if you doubt sometimes he said, if you doubt, and you say, It's so difficult I will never make it, he said, just rest in the doubter, rest in the person who is doubting, rest in the doubt, that is mind itself. It is mind doubting. So if you doubt, I can't not discover the nature of the mind. The doubt is already the mind. So rest just in that experience, in the source of doubt. So not much need to be done in our meditation but the trust that nothing need to be done and sometimes the understanding of all the movement we bring is just another phenomenon appearing in the mind, we cannot bring the mind itself, the mind is already here, so we may just end with a few minutes in silence meditation.